welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by James Mee, Lead Fund Manager of the Waverton Multi-Asset Income Fund. James joined the company in September 2012 as an Assistant Portfolio Manager for the Managed Portfolio Service Team. He's now Lead Manager of the Waverton Multi-Asset Income Fund and Co-Manager of the Waverton Real Assets Fund and Waverton Absolute Return Fund. James is also co-manager of the Waverton Protection Strategy and is a member of the Asset Allocation Committee. He graduated from Bristol University in 2012 with a degree in law and is a CFA charter holder. In May 2016, he won the Wealth Briefing European Rising Star Award. So just um, by way of reminder, Waverton Multi-Asset Income Fund, could you possibly just uh, talk us through the strategy uh, and investment style and what the objectives are also for the fund, please? Yeah, no problem. So the way we manage money, we're a long-only multi-asset investment strategy. We have a global investment universe. So to put that in perspective, within our equity allocation, we have just 11% in the UK. Uh, across all asset classes that, that we invest in, we have just 45% in sterling, so truly global, uh, and we're directly invested. So we're investing in uh, stocks and shares, so equities, individual bonds, directly in alternatives as well. Specifically, what we're trying to achieve through the cycle is UK CPI plus 2.5%. But really what we're thinking about when we're investing is compounding returns through the cycle. So when we're talking about compounding, quote unquote, implicitly, we're talking about risk or managing risk. Um, so the way that we perceive risk and we think about risk at the firm and with this strategy in particular uh, is twofold. The first is underperforming inflation. We think that's a key risk that needs to be mitigated by any long term investment strategy. Um, and the second risk is permanent capital loss. So we're looking to on the second point, really protect capital in periods of acute market stress or drawdown. We're looking then to reinvest that capital um, in order to grow the initial investment uh, ahead of inflation over the long term and, and compound those returns. Okay, and you, you touched on it there. What, what uh, in terms of the fund? What's the sort of uh, asset and, and geographical allocations? So uh, today we're at what I would describe as substantially invested in equities. So we've got fifty-four percent in equities at the moment. Our maximum uh, within this fund in this strategy is sixty percent. So it gives you a, a bit of a sense of, of how we feel about the world at the moment. We've got twenty percent in bonds. We have twenty percent in alternatives, and the remainder in cash. Um, we are underweight bonds, and within bonds, we're running a relatively low level of duration. So we're, we're reflecting a view that inflation's uh, missed price specifically for the second half of 2021. Uh, perhaps we can get into that later. Um, and we have a preference for alternatives. We've been investing in alternatives for over 10 years. We've developed a fairly sophisticated approach in investing in alternatives. Uh, uh, you know, at a high level, we disaggregate the alternatives universe, um, which as a designation in and of itself is unhelpful. So we disaggregate into real assets. So long only return seeking type of alternatives. Uh, property infrastructure, asset finance, commodities, specialist lending is how we define real assets. Uh, and then absolute return and hedging as well. Um, it's you know it's important to think about the weight between the individual asset classes, but of course it's what you invest in within those asset classes as well. So um, you know to speak a little bit about the portfolio as it is today, 
Um, within equities, we're running you know, a fairly high weight to what we would describe as an opening up trade. So we think we're in the second leg of that opening up trade. Uh, people are going to be going out and doing things rather than buying stuff. Uh, so, you know, for example, we've been adding to names such as ENAV, which is an Italian airspace equity, uh, Amadeus, airport and hotel leisure, booking systems, auto live, auto safety equipment. We think it's going to be a huge beneficiary with a structural tailwind. Payments companies, I think in, in May last year, we discussed Amex. Uh, we've also bought Visa since then. Um, we've been adding to consumer companies, so Coca-Cola, Asahi, Diageo, beneficiaries of on-premises demand. So as pubs and restaurants and bars start to open, they tend to be beneficiaries. And then within alternatives, we have a preference for real assets. Um, so within the real asset space, what I would describe as core real assets tend to have highly predictable, often inflation-linked cash flow streams. Uh, one of the names is supermarket income we, we own and, and have known the, the management for a very long time, specialty property name. And then, you know, some of the more cyclical names generally tied to the economic cycle or tend to be more pro-cyclical uh, uh, in their performance, such as Taylor Maritime, we were involved in, in their IPO this year. So that's a bit of a sense of um, the asset allocation today. And, and within that asset allocation, you, you may even have touched on it there. Maybe could you talk us through perhaps a couple of your top holdings? Well, we mentioned a few. So, so you know, within that that opening up trade, as I say, we have been adding to some of those names like Autolive, uh, the auto safety equipment, you know, again, has a, a bit of a structural tailwind. Amex and Visa, you know, Amex has performed extremely well since we, since we last spoke over the last 12 months. We continue to own it. We continue to see upside there um, as we see overseas travel, um, you know, return probably not, you know, it'll, it'll return over the next three, four years as opposed to have a V-shaped recovery. But we do think business travel will return. Um, Coca-Cola, Asahi and Diageo that I've mentioned as well that, that we, we've been topping up as, as, as the funds uh, had inflows as well. It's worth talking about that what we're looking for when thinking about equities. So really, we're looking for best in class um, and, and leaders in specific industries. And within that, and, and specifically with, for the equities that we own, we're looking for uh, durable business models. So an identifiable competitive advantage. We're looking for an opportunity for management and the company to grow free cash flow. We have a very uh, you know heavy bias on free cash as a key metric. We're looking for them to grow a cash return on invested capital. We're looking to see if management are aligned. Um, so are they looking to generate returns in the same way that we think that they ought to be generated by that generated by that that individual company? We're looking within that to avoid that historic principal agent problem. Um, and if it passes muster, then we'll look at the valuation. Is this an appropriate time to be buying and what's our outlook over three, five, uh, three or five years or longer? Now, we spoke last May. Um, obviously, it's been a quite extraordinary 18 months or so. Um, so how have you found that the fund's been coping over that extraordinary period and, and indeed did 2020 give you the opportunity maybe to uh, add new names to the portfolio? Yeah, um, so it, it has been an extraordinary period and I think we were in the midst of a, of a, of a you know, there, was a lot, there were a lot of questions at the time about which way the market was going to go and whether the Fed um, or any other central banks or policymakers were, were doing enough. Um, 
the fund actually performed well. So we performed well uh, through 2020 and, and into 2021. We protected capital very well during the most acute phase of that crisis last year. Um, and we were adding capital back into the market um, from as early as the 20th of March. And we continue to add uh, to risk and, and principally via equities and, and also laterally within real assets and alternatives and captured a lot of that um, equity upside, particularly into year end. You know, a point worth making is that having the hedging in place going into the crisis last year um, provided us with liquidity that the market was desperately seeking. Um, so enabled us to be liquidity providers when the market was a, was, a, was a seeker of it. And there's an art, you know, it, it speaks to the opportunity cost of money. So, so the opportunity cost or value of a pound at any particular point in time, the value of a pound in March 2020 is arguably worth considerably more from an opportunity cost perspective than it was at the end of 2019 than it is potentially today. Um, so we want to ensure that we have the capital to invest at more attractive points. And to that end, um, you know, we do, we do hedge what we perceive to be left tail risks. Um, in terms of new names, the portfolio actually looks very similar to, to how it did when we spoke this time last year. We've added to beneficiaries of that opening up theme. I mentioned uh, a few of those names already. We did take the opportunity to add Starbucks and Coca-Cola um, to the portfolio, both of which were trading well below what we perceive to be fair value on, an, on a normalized earnings basis. And we added LVMH in Europe as well. Within alternatives, um, we again added to a number of the positions we already owned um, at material discounts to fair value based on our perspective and our models. And, and more, la- you know, more recently in the last six months or so, we were adding to names with a twenty percent plus discount, um, which we thought would narrow conceivably over the next twelve months. And indeed, they've, they've traded very well as well. So we've added a few names, uh, but but not too many. Uh, and, and we've added to our equity exposure while maintaining that that left tail protection. Well, I think probably the quality of the portfolio has improved over the last twelve months because we have been adding some of those very high quality uh, compounders uh, and, and high quality companies. Sure, and um, you mentioned the the reopening trade. Obviously, the the speed of the recovery um, has caught some investors out. In as much as uh, obviously there have been uh, inflationary con- concerns, uh, although the Federal Reserve, amongst others, is is um, keen to point out that that's something of a, a transitory issue at the moment. Um, with, with that in mind, and, and the general volatility that we've seen indeed over the last uh, twelve months or so, what, what's your kind of outlook from here, and how do you find yourself positioned? So that's exactly uh, how we frame the macro. We have a macro framework. We don't forecast. We, you know, we think that it, the world is inherently complex and that you know impossible to forecast accurately, consistently. But we do have a framework, and inflation is exactly what we, you know, sort of our key framework at the moment. We think that the consensus for high but declining inflation into 2022 is actually correct. Um, but that the markets actually price this pretty efficiently. So that was confirmed by when, when in June um, we saw the CPI print for May in the US. It was printed at five. That was higher than expectations. Uh, but nonetheless, um, uh, the, the yield on government bonds actually declined. So that tells us uh, that it was very well priced. We think actually that the risk um, is to the upside in the second half. Uh, we think that yields could likely rise into year-end 2021 uh, before declining into 2022. 
the reason that we think this might be the case is there is three and a half trillion dollars worth of excess savings, i.e. savings that were that are higher now, more savings now than they were at the end of 2019. If we assume that uh, between 30 and 40 percent of that is spent, then that's 1.3, 1.5 trillion dollars, which is to come into the uh, into the U.S. economy via um consumption, whether that be in goods or in services. And we think that if that's going to happen, it's more likely to be front-loaded than back-loaded. The reason we think that, and so we think that actually um, we could well see higher yields going into the end of this year. The reason we think that 2022, uh, there may be less inflationary pressure um, is because uh, of the scale of unemployment. There are also three and a half million more unemployed today than there were uh, the month before the crisis in 2020. And we think that while there are some constraints uh, in some areas of the market, actually three and a half million is a, is a huge surplus of labour. And so the supply will will be more than the demand going into 2022. Um, so, sorry, carry on. I was just going to say, so so in terms of what we're, you know, how we're positioned, we're running a fairly short duration position in our fixed income allocation uh, within real assets, we're, we're invested explicitly in inflation-linked cash flow streams, but also in some of those more in, in implicitly linked uh, pro-cyclical names in, in the shipping space, for example. Um, and we're substantially invested in equities. So as I say, we've got about 54%. Um, and within that, um, about 30, 32% in this opening up theme. And just finally, James, going back to the uh, the in inflation theme, um, is it fair to say that uh, your view for the UK uh, is is similar to the US in as much are in as much as there are similarities, a commodity monetary policy, successful vaccination program, clear release of of pent up demand, and so on. Yes, except we keep getting delayed opening up, and and the US has some distinct features. We have a slightly different unemployment payment program here versus the US. Uh, the US, uh, that they, they will stop paying, or 25 states will stop paying this unemployment insurance in September. That, uh, you know, we're slightly ahead of where they are in the UK. We're extending the lockdown. Um, but I think, you know, the general theme uh, that people will go from spending on goods and stuff and Netflix. Uh, to services, pubs, restaurants, getting outside and doing things, travel to the extent that they can, I think is going to be uh, a global phenomenon. Well, unfortunately, that's uh, that's all we've got time for. Uh, so many thanks again for your time, James, and for those valuable insights. And, and thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back next Tuesday with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now.